Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. And uh, we're here to talk MSU football, which is a hot topic even nationally these days, but not the way it was a hot topic nationally like eight years ago. Uh, a hot topic nationally for, for the wrong reasons. Mel Tucker being ousted as the coach, and that is getting more and more formal by the, the day or week. And meanwhile, Michigan State's football team is trying to play a season and recover from a 41-7 thrashing to Washington against Maryland this week in what I think is a just a, a massively important game because for with all the noise that's happening and all the noise that is to come when the transfer portal opens to these guys, Chris, and, and their decisions about whether they want to shut it down after four games and maintain a level, uh, maintain a year of eligibility and all that stuff. If you feel like you're in a free fall, it's one more things to cons- one more thing to consider. If you're playing okay football and you steady the ship and you win a game, and all of a sudden you're one and zero in the Big Ten and things don't seem so bad, it helps. Yeah, it does. I, I, I have them losing this game before the season. Quite honestly, so I think same. So I think how you perform is really you got to be in this game. I mean, you cannot have a repeat of last week because Washington called off the dogs at halftime. And they, they ran the ball coming out of the break, and they put together, I think, three five-minute drives and then pulled Michael Penix. And, you know, that's, you know, they were already down, what, five touchdowns at halftime. They put up another, they put up a couple field goals early. So th- that game could have been a lot worse had Washington continued to go over the top on them. What Talia Tungvaloa does is going to be really interesting because this is a kid who's thrown for 300-plus yards both times he's faced Michigan State. Very very much this, a similar progression to what Michael Penix has had when he was at Indiana and then at Washington. And really the progression of Michigan State's secondary from the no-fly zone to the all-aboard you know, fr- <laughs> pass. You know, you get a, a free flight pass quite honestly. I mean, it, it's been, and it's, it, that's nothing against the secondary too, because they teams have been able to run the ball against them. I mean, Washington comes out of the break and they ended up with 170 yards rushing and that's not a team that runs the ball very well. So, uh, you know, that's, there's alarm bells that, and, and again, those alarm bells have been there for a while. Uh, but now you worry about the checkout factor. And I know a lot of people wonder about the portal stuff. It's, here's a few important things. One, the four-game threshold for freshmen still exists. So there, there are freshmen who haven't played in, in three games or two games yet this year, so you can play a couple more games still before determining whether to redshirt or not. Um, the This this window, the four-game window, is important for guys who haven't redshirted already. Uh, particularly the younger guys that don't have the extra year of COVID eligibility. That extra year of COVID eligibility in the back end for guys who haven't redshirted, and that's almost non-existent at this point. I mean, it, that's gone. There's, there's there's a handful of guys left that still can do that. That's important. And the other part, piece of this, because Mel Tucker is still suspended and not fired, 
the 30-day window for the transfer portal hasn't opened yet. So guys who've already transferred once and seeing around the country how many second-time transfers were shot down, they're going to have to wait for Mel Tucker to be fired. So I think it, it's going to be – but they could still shut it down to preserve themselves so they don't get hurt. All, all These are really good points, Chris. And one of the things that is going to be um, interesting about the portal, and I hope there's really good messaging within the program for these guys – is if you, whenever he gets fired, that 30-day window will, will open. And if you are somebody who's transferred already, you're going to have to make a decision within 30 days. It doesn't mean you have to transfer. Right. Just means, you, just means you've got to enter the portal. And the, the only problem with that for, for kids is that then other schools can contact you. So you talk about distractions. You're playing for Michigan State in the middle of a season, and other schools are reaching out to you saying, hey, do you want to be here? Our situation is better. It doesn't help you focus. So what you, what you hope for these kids' sake, and certainly it would help the program too, is if you haven't transferred yet, this 30-day window is pretty irrelevant unless you're sure you want to go because the portal is going to open to everybody in college football at the end of the season. And so if you haven't used your one-time transfer and you want the time to make a decision if you're a Michigan State player and you want more data, more evaluation, let's see where the program goes, maybe who they hire, what, what this season looked like, how I feel about being on this campus and in this program – in six weeks versus now, you've got that time. If you if you if you have not transferred yet, you do, this the, the transfer window is irrelevant, and that's something that needs to be explained to them. There is no rush. You don't need to you know you don't need to jump in in this thirty days. But thirty days is also a long time in the sense that the season could change a lot in thirty days. So say Mel Tucker gets officially fired sometime next week. Say that that were to happen. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that's like based on the letter Michigan State sent, the intent to fire that could that could be it. And so you're looking at the end. You're looking at like right after the Michigan game, the uh, 30-day window closing uh, a month from now. You know, and 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 so it, again, the season will look a lot different after after that to a lot of kids. There'll be multiple games played. I, it's going to be a fascinating month. And I think to our initial conversation, like if you can if you can find a way to feel better about things, even if it's a short-term band-aid, if you just don't feel like holy smokes, this is going south in a hurry, it, it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how this does proceed with Mel Tucker's contract situation and, and the letter to terminate, too, because the the letter went out Monday. Tuesday, Mel Tucker and his agent, Neil Cornrich, sent their response publicly, which tells me that they're going to fight this in legal terms, uh, which isn't a surprise, and... I think what happens next is, if I understand the process correctly, they will need to file in in uh, Western District Court. So that's go- now you're t- taking it into a federal court situation. What does Michigan State do? You've got the the hearing with the OIE and the Brenda Tracy matter that's October fifth and sixth. And, and I've said this for a while. You would think that Michigan State's going to try and do due diligence in everything it needs to do. To make sure it has its uh, its case for firing for cause, which to me, just as a layman on the outside, you have to do other. You know, I think you need a, a, another internal HR investigation to to look into whatever else might be there, um, which could extend it longer, and as a as a byproduct of that, potentially extend that window for to for that thirty day portal. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think can still happen between 
now and the what we expect to be the ultimate termination of Mel Tucker. It's just I don't know when it will end up coming down. It could be sooner, it could be later. I, I, it's going to be it's a fascinating chess match between two parties legally to try and figure this out for the best interest of both, both from Tucker's camp to get negotiation windows and try and get money for a buyout and for MSU with, first of all, trying to protect and preserve its program. And then Mel Tucker, of course, throws in the uh, Family Medical Leave Act um, uh, bit in his uh, statement. And um, so, you know, could be a wrinkle, could be just a ploy. We'll see what where that actually leads, but it, it obviously is one more one more factor. I, I think from a standpoint, if the players and programs, now that you, you've sent the letter of intent to fire, if you're Michigan State, that is a, there's no coming back, no. right? We, we, we sort of knew that before, but there is no coming back. So in other words, in some ways, you've already, you've already fired him in terms of the program and the players in a lot of ways. You've told them you're firing him. And in that case, it may be better off if it, if it holds off for a little bit for their sake. The, 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 it might be better for them if the 30-day transfer window doesn't open up until November for them because it's just one less thing on their plate right now. It's still going to be there for them. They're just going to have a longer time to evaluate. I, I just think f- for these guys in the program, who a lot of this has been really unfair to, who some of them chose the program because of Mel Tucker, certainly largely because of Mel Tucker and his staff. The staff is still in, in place. Getting as much information. You know, one of the things – that I think is is better about this happening in season than happening in June is that you get more data points other than the coach being fired before you make a decision as a player. And I, I you know, I'm not saying that it's truly like it might be more fair to the players if like July was their 30 day window. Yeah. But, it, but if you've been training all off season with a team and all of a sudden July, you got to make a decision. And the only thing, you know, is the coach I, I came to play for in his program has been let go. You don't know how anything's going to be post him. And that is, a, now at least, you get a little taste of that. And you get a little taste of, you know, if you want to, you'll be able to stick around and see who they hire and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I do think that for the player's standpoint, this uh, this this may um, this may help them to some degree. But the distractions are going to be there. I mean, you, you cannot, and I wrote this today, I mean, it is, if, if, you, if you're a player and you get on Twitter or social media, God help you, but you're going to see 40,000 feverishly written articles about the who may replace Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's still employed, and it's still, you know, technically, and you've already got that. Now, I'm not saying those articles are irresponsible. That is a natural next question. I get that. Um, but I've, it's a dizzying pace. Thankfully, it's going to tire itself out, and then it'll pick it up again later. Because right now it's not really based on anything. Yeah, it's just, it's pure speculation based on oh, hot entirely. names in the business. I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a cheap list. It's an easy list. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, what happens if, if the luster goes off a, a guy like Mike Elko that people are saying is should be the number one candidate? I mean, that's legitimately things happen as we've seen and in a hurry. So you know, right? right. I, you, the, you got to do your due diligence first and Duke's foremost. Is, well, two things, right? If Duke is six and six. You may feel differently about Mike Elko. Yep. Separately, if Duke is six and six, he's still the same coach today. And if you're a really good athletic director and a really good administration, and you like him today, you should like him then. So there, I mean, but also factors can change in certain ways. There are lots of things that'll happen. The lists that are put together, I think, a month from now, weeks from now, is, is, is it becomes clear? Is that becomes something that becomes part of Michigan State's focus? Is it becomes clear that if and when Harlan Barnett and his, the staff aren't going to remain? 
And I think giving them more than a week, a mulligan before that is is, is probably if if you're Alan Haller, you don't want all of you don't want those sort of sourcing and rumors. Like I, I can tell you right now, the sourcing is not coming from anybody high up in athletics. It is if you see somebody saying, "I'm hearing this," and I'm looking at a couple national writers. What you're, what they're hearing is from agents. They're hearing yep, from agents, exactly. And, and and sometimes the same national writer who is hearing something might be the same national writer who uh, sort of built the market for Mel Tucker and LSU. That's that's, so inter- that, that's an interesting theory and thought right there. And it, keep, keep that in mind. I'm just saying, and, and agents agents do a lot sometimes. And there's some water carrying going on. I'm I'm just I just keep that in mind. The the lists that are out there aren't bad lists. They're lists of a lot of really good names and candidates. And, and and it's it's great fodder for discussion. Not knocking it. It's a lot of people's jobs to do it. I'm just saying it's not based on anything right now. Let's let this play out for a little bit. Let's see where their seasons go. Let's see where Michigan State seasons go. But I'm saying for the players, they can't ignore it. Like that is the discussion. There is no like in the house they can think, well, maybe the staff will stick around. But nobody is saying that outside of outside of the the, the building, and certainly in sort of the the. The ecosphere on the program. I, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure after Saturday's game against Washington that anybody's saying that. Correct. Correct. And you know what? Because I mean, like going back to that Washington game, I mean that's if all things were right and this same thing happened with a head coach in place, based on what's happened over the last three and a half years, coordinators probably would have been fired following that game. Yeah, there were serious there were serious issues there, and and you know the, the one thing I'll say that are, there are a couple things that are interesting. Number one, I I believe this staff and this team deserves a mulligan for last week. Now, doesn't excuse yeah. everything. It's an unacceptable result overall. You you don't get two mulligans though. You got to come out this week and, and perform right. You got to show you can rally. You got to show you have resolve. You got to show the talent base is better than it looked. You know, listening to a, a podcast last week uh, or this week. Uh, from a, uh, and, and I'm blanking right now on the, uh, who the college football uh, insider was, but it was somebody who's oh, it was uh, uh, McElroy, the former um, uh, Alabama quarterback, right? Is it, I got that right, Greg, Greg McElroy. McElroy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he thought Washington was the second best team in the country, and, and, and above Possible. a lot of other teams. And he just thought they were phenomenal. And he was talking about that game and other games and what they're doing. So it's also possible that Michigan State. Did run into just a buzzsaw, and 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 I asked Alan Harlan, uh, Harlan Barnett about this on, like, Central Michigan and uh, Richmond were such horrible preparation for Washington, in ways that Washington will be much better preparation for Maryland, in terms of understanding. Listen, it, it, we can say anything you want, but we're talking about three and a half years of poor pass defense. No doubt, this isn't. This is you could say anything you want about a mulligan, but this was the the logical extension of the third time of over 600 yards on Scotty Hazelton's watch. I'm I'm not talking 713 yards is I think the most the second most this year in an FBS game. And that's not we're not talking about just, you know, they got beat and they gave up 500 yards and they got blown out. They got the, the dogs were called off at halftime. Like that was there. There was mercy shown by Kalen DeBoer in Washington in that game because that game could have been seventy or eighty to nothing, and they didn't get a touchdown until the last drive with the backups for both teams in. Um, and this is a team a year ago. You went to their place and put up twenty plus points. So it's not like there's been that much of a drop off in one year. 
There's there they showed they could move the ball last year. Granted, we saw what happened and why they didn't move the ball, in large part because their starting quarterback from last year is now the starter at Auburn, and their starting wide receiver in that game is now at Florida State. And the guy who missed that game and might have given him a better chance is in the NFL. But you can't have that much of a drop off in one year to the point where you're at home. And I get again, you you're not wrong about the mulligan for the week that was, but when you look at it and com- compile that together with what we've seen over the last couple of years, I don't know how you can look and say, and there has to be a dramatic turnaround to me 100%. for anybody to really stick around at this point. Again, I got no problem with people surmising of the next coaches because as it stands right now, there's going to be a brand new coach. And, and even if things go pretty well the rest of the way, even if they turn this ship around a little bit and they're, they were solid and they're competitive – they probably should go outside because you want to do what's best for the program in three years. And and Harlan Barnett may be, if they, he's able to do that, be viewed as somebody who's revered for helping them get through a dark hour. He may get a, a job at a lower level. Is, is, he may be a, a worthy of a head coach consideration elsewhere. Um, but let me, I, I'll say, yeah. And the other thing is, having covered a few of these, and I know this seems like a lot of yards, uh, but somebody who's covered the Mid-American Conference, um, let me tell you, I, I I think I covered Western Michigan give up close to that many yards, three straight games. A good team that finished with a winning record, I believe, or, or close to it, it doesn't usually change in season, like when you're that bad. I covered a game that, that Western Michigan lost 66-63 in regulation, 1,400 yards of total offense. Western Michigan gave up 804. And that was like maybe the third game of the season that they gave up, or the first of three games that season they gave up over – 650 or 700 like it you just don't see very rarely and, and I know Scotty Hazelton brought up to um the team this, this week that all the the NFL teams that Super Bowl champions that had um given up 41 points exactly and then won a Super Bowl the NFL is just a different beast yep. that happens they're pros the the, the the gap between teams is a lot less you have a week where things go wildly wrong on a matchup or you you're you're beat up, whatever. You show up the next week. Look, if it's a psychological ploy that works, that that's fine. That that's great. What I'm saying about the mulligan and everything is, I I I am willing to watch this week, right? See how it looks, and then make an, another assessment of where things really are. You have to be in the game, plain and simple. You yes. have to be in the game. You can't go into halftime and think and. and you know, I watched people stream out of the stands at halftime, and Harlan Barnett was asked about how empty the stands were at the end of the game, and that's brand based, right? I mean, that's a, an entire situation, and I understand that the situation is really difficult for everybody involved—players, coaches, administrators, everybody that remains—to try and keep this thing from going off the rails. But the fans are fickle, and the fans are going to walk out the gates and there's a good chance with a couple games only a couple home games left it might not even show up no no doubt it it, it, could, it could get really ugly after this one of them's michigan and yeah the, you you need to keep your fan base engaged up until that game for sure beyond that just think about what ford field could look like if if people are checked out and the season's gone horribly awry yeah what was ford field going to look like in the first place by moving the game there i mean it was going to be a, a potentially a 50 50 thing and if penn state's in it now you're looking at a complete takeover. They've done a pretty good job in terms of like getting ticket sales out to their people in Michigan State. That's, so, that's all well and good, but those tickets can be resold. 
no, no doubt, no doubt. They can't. This isn't the same situation that Michigan State has with their own ticket thing, where they can chart who is selling the tickets. You took the game out of your own stadium. You can't. You can't do that anymore. You can't tell the season ticket holders they can't do this, that, or the other thing. That's a separate stadium. And if they want to no, sell, it, if they want to sell for pennies on the dollars or at a premium to Penn State people who might be in line for a Big Ten title and looking to clinch something bigger, it's going to be that's going to be a blue and white mess if it, if that happens. No, they've got to find a way this week. I, you know, obviously, if they won the game, that would be a big deal. That would that would because um, I think Maryland is a pretty decent football team. They've got a quarterback who's been around who's. Uh, he's not Michael Penix, but he does things differently. He does things with his legs a little differently than than uh, Penix does with his. Not um, as much downfield stuff. Yeah, but, but he he's a da- more he's of a good. danger and threat to run. Uh, Penix is more uses his legs to stretch and extend the pocket a little bit more. Tagovailoa does that, but he also gets out and moves. So the, those kind of quarterbacks have been a challenge for this defense for a couple years now, and they've got good receivers. They got a maybe one of their better running games as well um the big question is you know can the you know that's a big question coming off 713 yards you just gave up but you also have to be able to move the ball i think they you know like i said i mean those first couple drives and they 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 did not have drives over i think one drive over three minutes in that game and i don't know if, if that's i mean part of that is the fact that they didn't have more than Nathan Carter, um, you know, and Carter got banged up in that game against Washington. It doesn't sound from what Harlan Barnett said, like, like Jaron Mangum and Jalen Berger will be back this week. They're both a couple weeks, at least a week away, he said. So now your run game is still down, You got but you got to be able to control the clock and keep your defense off the field. I mean, that, that, I don't know what the, 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 I know it's a passing first kind of era in college football but you if your defense struggles you got to be able to control the clock to keep them off keep them off the field and keep them fresh and that's that's been equally as much of a culprit here over the last few years as it has been the defense's poor play I'm very curious to see how this unfolds because I I do think like Maryland's been good so far but they haven't played anybody either like Virginia is a bad team this year went through a lot last year they're not very good they haven't played anybody, but they've been dominant in the second half. They've been good in the running game. They've got a very good running back. They've got a very good quarterback. Um, their defense against limited competition has been sound. Like this could be Maryland was an eight-win team this year. This could be them or last year. This could be them turning a corner. Like this could be a team that is. Um, and I don't know if they're quite in the the Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State conversation, but they could be a, a, a clear. Team that would have been a contender in the in the in the uh, Big Ten West this year, for example, we don't know that yet. Uh, we'll, we'll find out a little bit. But I, I think this is a, a, a um, fascinating, a real ma- Yeah, it's a real matchup. It's it's a it's a game that you and I both picked Maryland to win before the year. I picked Michigan State to be two and three when I thought they were going to have Mel Tucker. I did and as finish well. six and and finish six and six. So like I, I think you know you can. Um, that's the other thing to remember that it isn't. This was not going to be a season where they were supposed to contend. However, it was also not supposed to ever look like it did against Washington, like it did against Minnesota last year. Like those, those are the things you had to leave behind. You had to show progress and growth. And I think a big part of Michigan State now is you, you've sort of seen the floor of this season. Maybe it was the worst matchup at the worst possible time, but 
what they look like going forward. And they're going to get more shots against elite teams to prove that they're in a decent place, that things are okay. All you, you know, if you, they're going to play Michigan in a month. They're going to still play Ohio State. They're still going to play Penn State. And so you're going to get these like moments of measuring stick. And frankly, if, if you're Harlan Barnett and his staff and you're coaching for your careers, these are opportunities, however long shots. At least you have that, you know. At least you know, you know. If you're if you're Harlan Barnett and you beat Michigan and Ohio State this year, you know who might have a job next year? Harlan Barnett. You know, what I mean? yeah. like at least you have those sort of things. Long shots. Given what we saw last week, can't imagine it's going to happen. Um, but I, I do want to see what sort of resolve this team is. I, I has. I do think. And and I, what, what's also stinks for this coaching staff is if it wasn't for the Mel Tucker situation, they wouldn't be on the deadline they're on. You know, right. instead they you know, they were not supposed to beat Michigan and Ohio State this year, and probably not Penn State, given who they are. But now the only way this staff is coming back is if they do something extraordinary that's ahead of schedule, and that and and that's tough, but that, that's also fair. That's the way this stuff works, and and they'll either get that done or somebody else will get a shot. Yeah, and I think we'll know uh, probably I'd say before the Michigan game. Uh, if that's even a feasible possibility, because there there are some games in there that you know you have to show com, com, competition. You have to show competitiveness. You have to show that you you can you can win the games that you're supposed to win. You can't go on the road to Rutgers and lose, which is a distinct possibility. I mean, you know those, those games that remain out there are certainly not exactly easy. I mean, you, you know. At Iowa, at Rutgers, um, plus the Maryland game. Those are the three games before Michigan. Um, how you compete is just as important as, as the results, I think, right now. Is there anything else in football? I, I, I want to touch on a little hoops before we go, just because the, the schedule came out. Is there anything else um, that you think people can stomach? And, and obviously we're writing about a lot of this stuff, and, and we've talked about it before. Anything else that, that you think is important to get to in football? Probably you have to, and it kind of was went a little bit, under the radar because of everything else, but you have to start wondering what's going to happen at the quarterback spot. I mean, think about this. We yeah, went into the year, and the biggest question was the quarterback and what was going to be the quarterback situation. And we're at game three, and Caton Hauser led a 99-yard, 11-play, five-minute-plus drive. I don't care if it was against the backups or not. That's not an easy spot in the situation. He scores the touchdown. The only touchdown that Michigan State had, the only drive that they had in the game, the longest drive in terms of plays, yardage, and time of possession, you have to start wondering, is there another quarterback competition? We're How far into this podcast, and we haven't even talked about that, because yeah. That's, yeah. that's the gravity of the situation right now for the program. But th- And that's a, that's a legitimate question. If this staff thinks that Caton Hauser has a better chance to get them to that point quicker, or Sam Levitt. I, I mean, you have to wonder what's going to happen. I, I mean, I asked Harlan Barnett about how much you can change structurally, schematically, at uh, it, it, this point in the game when you don't have preseason camp, when you don't have spring ball. I mean, you're literally thrusting it. You can't really change much. But the only thing you can change is the personnel and the positions. And if if Caton Hauser showed that spark, I mean, maybe you give him the ball a little earlier this week if if things go awry. Um, you didn't the first two weeks, and the offense 
eventually found its way out of it. So you have to give Noah Kim that pass a little bit. But if 99-yard drive is a 99-yard drive, whether it's the end of the game or not, a five-minute-plus drive when you need to show some ball control is a, is important. So I, I, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But that, that I thought was one of the questions that somehow was missed uh, on Tuesday with Harlan Barnett. Yeah, we didn't get into that with him, and it's it's a really good point. And I think one of the things I – mean, I would be surprised if Noah Kim doesn't get another start here. Again, we're talking mulligans all the way around, and if the coaching staff, which texted – you know, uh, Chris Kapilovich uh, tested um, – texted uh, Harlan Barnett and other coaches apparently that they got to be better and Barnett said that if everybody's taking a mulligan then it's only right to give Noah Kim one given that it was the first real competition like competition power five competition he'd faced in his career because even when he's coming to other games it was like what Caten Hauser just faced the yep. other day which was second tier second team stuff and it's not the same and so that said it's a certain point what this particular team might need is a gamer and if Caten Hauser is more of a gamer, a guy who, you know, doesn't win in practice all the time, but when you've got to have somebody who can create when you don't have advantages, he's better at that. Then, then you're going to have to consider that. I, I, I do think Noah Kim got rattled early, and you could see it in his feet, you could see it in his eyes, you could see it in his throws, and the offensive line did not help. It was an abysmal performance by the offensive line, which is it was just a big problem. And so I, I am curious to see how he bounces back. I think this is an enormous game for him. Um. And I, I think you're right, though. I think it's probably only fair at this point to go with the plan that we had talked about maybe before the season where you, you've got a plan to put Caten Hauser in the game at some point when it's still competitive and see what he can do or at least be ready to much quicker if, if Noah Kim struggles again. Yeah, because that that's a great point. He hasn't had meaningful snaps, even against Central, even against Richmond. Late in the game, and as after the Michigan State had put things away, so there's clearly a, a at least from the coaching staff standpoint, uh, and even in this game when things weren't going right, they stuck with Noah Kim. So there's a chasm that that the staff believes is between Kim and Hauser, which which is interesting considering how much this staff hyped Caten Hauser coming in. And he is only a redshirt freshman, so I mean, you know, there's also unrealistic expectations to think that a, a guy like him or Sam Levitt can come right in and be a savior. Um, but you got to figure out if this guy can play and grow. I mean, it, that's ultimately the thing is you can't keep giving him minutes and snaps at the end of games against twos and threes if he's if he if he's if he crashes and burns and doesn't and shows what what are you lost really at this point yeah and that, but that's important to note that everything you think about uh Caten Hauser right now you thought about Noah Kim a year ago in other words that's Noah Kim came and looked great when when they're against second units in garbage time and and so again that doesn't mean Caten Hauser isn't ready doesn't mean he's not the better option um but if we're doing mulligans I think Noah Kim gets gets another look but but last week was was concerning because it it he did not look like a guy who was ready for this and that was the first time I, we'd had some slow starts. We'd watched him have, you know, but but we hadn't seen him not look like we hadn't seen him look as wide. I, I don't know if wide eyed is the right term, but he he looked a little bit shook. There was deer in headlights. You know what it reminded me of? Yeah, it yeah. it reminded me of how the Lions uh, basically turned Charlie Batch into mush. 
because Charlie Batch was a good quarterback, and I'm still mad. Did about some that. did some really good things, but when you don't have a line around you and you're constantly under pressure and you're constantly evading defensive ends and defensive tackles and linebackers coming at you from every different angle, you're going to get happy feet. And that's what I saw yeah. from from Noah Kim with those Charlie Batch happy feet. And uh, and 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 I think that that remember Charlie Batch was would sail passes at times too like that. But when Charlie Batch ended up with the Steelers, he was a competent, capable backup who you could bring into a game because he had shed some of that because he had a line in front of him. I still blame Bill Walsh, the creator of the West Coast offense, who created Marty Morningwig, who created the, <laughs> the allure of Ty Detmer, who threw seven interceptions against the Browns in week one. I, I, I just, the, the idea, the, um, the West Coast offense, if it had never existed, football would be better for it. Um, and and, and I, if you take offense to late Bill Walsh, so be it. Um, <laughs> The uh, that's one of my my off the wall pet peeves that uh, that still exists. The run game and the offensive line. I mean, you know, all these things are are critical this week. I mean, is probably even more so, like I said, than the defense. I mean, you know, the defense has struggled against the pass. You got to keep them off the field. Period. Yeah. I mean, you got to show the ability to sustain drives and control the clock and limit the time that that Tagovailoa has the ball. No doubt, the offense was as big a culprit last week as the defense. You got you got to be you got to do your part, and uh, the defense we knew was going to be up against it last week. They were they weren't great. Nobody's saying they were, but they were not helped on the other end at all. If the offense had been able to sustain three four drives, had gotten the end zone two three times, then Penix has the ball a lot less. That's a, it, 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 the game feels different. The offense has to be more competent um, than it was. Let's. Uh, Let's talk some basketball. Happier place for Michigan State fans before we get out of here. Um, full schedule is, has been released now. The Big Ten schedule is out. It's um, you know it's 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 an interesting schedule. A lot of as somebody pointed out to me again, like last year, a lot of weekday home games and weekend road games, which which they got hit with a lot last year, which is not ideal. Um, but I think the early part of the schedule is more. Uh, more manageable. Uh, the interesting early road trip to Nebraska. Yeah, which is a December road trip to Nebraska. They'll probably still be in the mix of things. They they don't usually fall apart till later. Like like the the end of December is usually when they fall out of the mix. Right, right. But the, but that's a good crowd. It'll be a tough place. Uh, and and you know, and obviously Wisconsin at home before that. Um, and uh, so the was the the December trip games are a little more interesting than they sometimes have been in the Big Ten. And a point that I always make, you know, I was talking about their lack of true road games and how I don't rank teams after a month until they play a true road game. The Big Ten helps them out with this because by going to Nebraska December 10th, there really isn't much time that they, I mean, that, that, that fulfills that purpose. The Big Ten takes care of it in, in a lot of ways. They're on the road in a true road game a month into the season. But still, I would like to see them find a way to, you know, have a non-conference through road game but uh nebraska certainly certainly helps what was your any any initial thoughts on the on the schedule well i mean the back-to-backers thir- sunday thursday northwestern and illinois is interesting the back-to-back road games maryland and wisconsin uh that should be uh that's a sunday friday turn um that'll be i th- i think fascinating um I, you know the, there's there's a lot out there i think that with this schedule the, the the wrapping of the season at Indiana 
is yeah. is is interesting. And two of the last two of the last three are at Purdue and at Indiana. So I mean, TV will no have doubt. plenty of ratings to to deal with there. But that's a that's a tough turn if you're trying to chase a Big Ten title at that point. So the, the that stretch of of Indiana or excuse me Iowa and Ohio State and at Michigan right before the the, the three game home or the three game kick to the season uh, will be interesting. And obviously then there's the Big Ten tournament in Minneapolis this year, obvious, which is logical because, you know, why let's get all different places involved. And, you know, so I think I think this is the first time they've taken it out of the Chicago and Indy rotation since what, New York? Or was it Washington? Or New York. What yeah. or Washington Washington might have been after that. Um yeah the problem with this and I and I don't uh, you know I I understand why they play certain things and why they want to move markets around. The problem when they do things um, outside of what is drivable for the most amount of people is the thing that makes conference tournaments great is the idea that, hey, your team's making a run. It's Saturday. Let's hop in the car and go see them, you know? Or our team lost, so let's sell these tickets and get out of here. <laughs> like yeah. when, you, when it all becomes flights. It's a little trickier, and, and people can do it, but you just got to make a whole weekend of it. And fewer people will commit to that. I'm not saying it won't be a success in Minnesota. I'm just saying there, there are some downsides to what I think is the essence of a great uh, conference tournament when, when fewer people, uh, when it's drivable for, for fewer people. But that, that, you know. I'll say this about this conversation that we're having right now. Um, Nobody cares. It, yeah. it, well, <laughs> it, it, as much as Michigan State fans want to turn the page the basketball season, there's still so much with football to to deal with both off and on the field that um, you know maybe when the calendar flips October, <laughs> this yeah. will have a little more resonance. But man, we're we're in mid September still. I'm not going to have Phil cut that, but I do feel bad that a conference tournament that I often say is irrelevant itself, I was debating the merits of on a September podcast when the football program's in turmoil, not uh, what you would call great uh, editorial um, 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 thinking on my part. So Some might call, it, some might call you a rube for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, no, I, I'm with you. Purdue and Indiana to finish on the weekends, uh, back-to-back weekends on the road is, is going to be tough. Um, hoops, though, I think... A lot of people will be ready for as it arrives. <laughs> and let's be fair, uh, I haven't really had a lot of time and in, in minds and brain waves to to neither have I to really fully digest the hoop schedule just yet either. I, yeah, it, it came out during Harlan Barnett's presser yesterday, so it was like, okay, what uh, you know, you, you know, what, we're not doing a quick takes or anything, and not that there was one really to do, but that's just not where people's heads are. Um, we will have complete coverage of football at lsj.com. Freep.com, greenandwhite.com. For Chris, for myself, please rate, subscribe, do whatever you do there. Uh, This has been a product of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. We'll talk to you soon.